0: Welcome to the Tri Tech Games Podcast.
1: This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of exploring strange new worlds, of seeking out new life, and new civilization, and boldly going where no podcast has gone before. And to help us this week, we have questions from our fans on Facebook. John, what's our first question?
2: Can one meller? transfer his information, the memories he's gotten, to another Mellor, either by being eaten by another Mellor, or through some other means of transmission.
3: I would think by how the Mellor are made, no, I would think not, because the Mellor, they absorb the life memories and forces of those around them to assume the form to help infiltrate a society, even if they are uninfected they would sit there and just know okay that's a fellow mellor ick you know it'd be like cannibalism they just they wouldn't you know devour each other they wouldn't try to absorb from each other and i don't think that they could pass on that information to another mellor they'd be just like oh no no i don't want that no just no
1: remember th- what the plan of the kegax was the ones that took the loyal old Meller and turned them into the infected Meller. They wanted to give them freedom. They wanted to make them not have to submit or obey any other species. They wanted them to have self-control. I'm not so good on that, (laughs) but self-determination, self, 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 using Freudian terms, the id of the Meller ultimate. I think that a Meller, he passes on his knowledge and abilities to his offspring, because that is the way he's biologically designed. But I don't think he has a means of no of transmitting it to someone else.
2: The question, therefore, is: What about the old Miller? Did they have the ability to go? Oh, hi, Joe. Shake hands, and now now Joe knows about three about three or four personalities and genetic codes for people in a world that he's going to.
3: And that Joe would be another Mellor.
2: Another old Mellor, yeah. Hmm. That I was imagine that would be possible. Because that just makes it, makes it easier for the Mellon to pass around information as needed. Maybe uh, Mellor A is stuck. He can't really leave. But he needs to pass on information.
1: Well, okay, shake hands, pass on information, information, and off it goes. It's possible. It's not in the Bible. But since Meller had this ability to telepathically control and receive information from their underling, Meller, and we know that they're slightly telepathic, uh, there's no reason why they would not be able to do that if that's what the GM wants to happen. Well, I'm saying this
2: is a feature of the old Meller, as the old Meller, Meller were able to pass on information and, and
1: genetic code amongst themselves. Well, there's no reason for them to pass on genetic code. They're identical. Code they picked up. I mean templates. Yeah, templates. Okay. Pass, pass on templates and memory. Say the game is silent on that. So Yeah. If you want to say they have that ability, it doesn't break anything. There's nothing that says they can't. In my campaign, I cured a mellor. I introduced a Meller cure. They're now dealing with this old meller, which was a meller before. And they're talking to him and he's being all Mr. Nice Guy and they're all going, This creature was a monstrous murderous creature what five seconds ago and (laughs) now he wants to be our pal
3: yeah i know i remember blix and i were talking about playing an old melor that had been cured of the infection even playing that as a dm would be just okay you have to get in the mindset of that just as an npc would be really weird but
1: This was how I wanted to do it. When he reverted, I had him forget everything. He didn't have any templates. He had nothing. He was just.
3: A tabula rasa, a clean slate.
1: He was like an amnesiatic who can speak and has basic tool using abilities and recognizes the general technology in the world that he's in but he has no actual memories of himself or his history at all and there's actually a specific thing where people understand language they understand how to do things in the world that they're in but they don't remember anything personal that was my solution to how to deal with the reversion
3: i think that's good because that way then it would be a price to pay it's like okay, the virus has already rewritten their personality to make them just totally evil and just, okay, you turn them from lawful good to chaotic evil. Such an alignment reversal back, you're cranking the psyche back to what it was after not only the initial change, but everything it did due to that change. I think the personalities and whatnot that it had gained Losing them, I think, would be an acceptable cost to get the Meller back to where it's not wanting to rip faces off, you know.
1: I haven't even considered the possibility of them being able to telepathically talk to any other Meller. If it happened, it would have to be very close range or by touch, because that's how they operate. They don't read people's minds from a distance when they go to a world. They have to go up and touch them to get their memories. Yeah. If they have the ability to do this kind of transfer, it would have to be on a very close basis. It's an interesting thought, I'm glad of the question. I really hadn't thought about the possibility of, they're so rare, (laughs) the possibility of two old Mellor running into each other. It's amazing, it was was nothing I even ever considered. (laughs) What is
4: Wargaming Recon?
2: December
1: 7th, 1941,
2: a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. 3,000 miles from home, an American army is fighting for you. We today have concluded an agreement to end the war and bring peace with honor in Vietnam.
3: The world will note that the first atomic bomb was dropped on
4: Hiroshima. A military bank Historical wargaming for your ears only at WargamingForums.com. over oh, humanity
2: Thank you, Paul, for that question. That is actually a very good question. Now he does have some commentary because Paul, he's ex-military. he's stationed in Colorado Springs. I won't say much more than that. He actually has a really good knowledge of both of firearms, which I've been tapping in for the Victorians. But also, he knows a lot about, well, military vehicles. The opening story had the Humvee being driven by Gordon Conrad through the portal die. And the reason why it died, because as soon as the front of the engine went through, a front of the vehicle went through the portal, the battery got neutralized, the various electronics got neutralized because there's no more power going through them. Paul then pointed out, okay, what kind of Humvee was it? Was it a Humvee? Was it a Hummer? Or was it a HMMWV? which is the military version of the Hummer, the original version, because the original version, uh, except for some electronic controls for the fuel injection, is entirely mechanical. It would run rough going through the portal. And if you hit the accelerator, you might flood it at that point, but the engine would keep on running until you flooded it at at that point. So our explanation is it was a military Hummer Then what happened was Gordon stepped in the gas and flooded the engine and killed it. I'm thinking, though, it's the the commercially available civilian version, which was, in in fact, all electronic. That would definitely die going through the portal. But then we had starting these conversations back and forth about different diesel vehicles. And he pointed out that Mercedes-Benz produced an entirely mechanical diesel engine up until 1950. I forgot what model it was uh, It was in, but it was entirely mechanical. And I'm going, that's really nice, but you know what that means? You're going to find them in two states. Someone's collection or someone's barn rusted solid. Because <laughs> they're from the 50s. Highly unlikely you're going to find anything that's in drivable condition unless it's in a collection. And if it's in a collection, they're highly unlikely to let you have it.
1: Well, no, they'll let you have it. They'll have to be compensated. Because in my beginning campaign, I had them borrowing stuff from Jay Leno's garage. They took his original steam-powered cars out with them on the French Pass. With my
2: guys, they're actually out there right now with... It's called Elizabeth. It's a steam bus up in Whitby, England. They're running around with. It got hit by cannon fire, so they may actually have second thoughts about letting the U.N. use your vehicles. Right. And if you think about if it comes back damaged or repaired, in fact, it's being repaired as we speak, you're going to get all sorts of people getting up in your nose. That's, that's, that's history. You destroyed history. You changed history. You're changing it. Ah! And collectors are going to go, no, you can't have it. Sorry, no. You guys
1: are too rough for this stuff. You're not having this. Sorry, bye, go away. I don't see that as happening. For every person who's acting that way, I see other people being more than happy, especially people who lease these vehicles to production companies and things like that for movies and such. The reason that I found it interesting was that there was a big question of, okay, they drove through the portal, the engine died, so they had to use bicycles. So when did they figure out that a diesel engine would work? And I suggested that they ran into Fringe Pirates and the Fringe Pirates, their big battle wagons use diesel engines and they're smelling the diesel engine and saying, hey, that smells like diesel fume. And then the penny drops and says, diesel, dieseling. Hey, I bet they keep working on the Fringe Pass because you don't have to have electricity as long as you just keep feeding it in. And that was how I answered that question. Oh yeah. So This suggestion uh, what he's talking about made it possible to say well okay so they tried a couple of vehicles going through and two of them stopped immediately and the third one took like maybe 30 seconds to die and then somebody in tech services in the motor pool was saying wow I wonder why that one lasted so much longer than the rest and a month later the penny drops on him or her, and now they know why to, you know, the, they should be trying out these really primitive diesel engines. Voila! They can now use diesel engines. So it's another way of discovering this aspect of the game which we kind of have to let npcs do because the players are going to read the book so they're going to know immediately that the diesel powered vehicles work on the fringe Pass, where electrically powered ones don't we did have a long discussion about okay so mercedes
2: benz says okay we don't want these collector's editions fine we still have the blueprints for this engine we have cnc uh, construction we'll make you a hundred yeah
1: that's what would happen If they actually do have, you know, decent plans on file somewhere where it doesn't use any electricity for any of the controls. And at the time when we were talking about this, I said I didn't think that was very likely that a modern engine, and you're placing in the 1950s, which is pretty darn modern uh, as far as efficiency and power is concerned. I figured by then they would be using quite a bit of electrical controls in the vehicle.
2: The engine was actually made back in the 1930s, but it was so reliable, they didn't change
1: it for 20 years. Well, th- new information all the time. Yeah, yeah. If that's the case, and I think you should research that, John. Yeah. And then you can use that to, in our next edition to say, OK, these are the kind of vehicles, and this is where they would have gotten them. Mm-hmm until a couple years goes by and other people are able to produce the fringeworthy vehicles from a number of different sources. I think the most likely source of fringeworthy vehicles is actually off-world, where they find some of these worlds that are in the 1920s and 1930s, where all they have are purely mechanical-type engines, and they'll just use vehicles from those worlds on Earth Prime, assuming, of course, that they can get parts and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. He did
2: point out something I didn't realize, that the MOG... I don't know if you ever heard of it. MOG is another um, uh, vehicle. I think it's produced by Daimler-Benz. It's a truck. Their uh, 963-406 series, built back during the 60s, was mechanical. It didn't have electronic ignition. or or It had electronic ignition, of course, to get it started. But after that, it was entirely mechanical in operation. And they're still making mogs. Now, of course, these are updated mogs. These are big trucks, uh, Mercedes-Benz trucks. So, you know, you think... Okay, maybe they could, you know, there's another vehicle they can roll back to the sixties and start manufacturing, you know, fringe
1: variants for. It all depends on how non electrical they really are. Yes. If they're 80% non electrical, they're still probably not gonna work.
2: Yeah. <laughs> now I, I pointed out that, you know, this being the UN, it's more likely that what will happen is that they'll put out a bid. I mean, I hate to say it, it's a government. You know, and they may want to put out a bid so that non-European companies can can compete, or actually, you know, maybe a European company. You're not quite sure how UN politics is going to flow in this case, but they'll put out a bid and they'll have they'll take like ten different submissions and they'll go through a test. It may take two years,
1: maybe three, before they finally get a prototype that they like. Which is why I think it's more likely that they're going to find another world out there that has vehicles. Mm-hmm. of the kind that they want already without having to yeah. do all this process. This Earth Prime company may find itself under bid by someone who already has them rolling off their assembly line. And the other problem is, is that numbers.
2: Right now, in the Year Zero game, there are a total of 20 fringe-worthy in four teams. That means you need four vehicles. That means four handmade prototype vehicles probably costing a million dollars each or more. Very doable. Yeah, very doable, but also very expensive.
1: That's not very expensive. Uh, In what we're talking about, that's not expensive. I mean, They must have spent a a billion dollars putting up Hatsumi base. That's true. Yeah.
3: Yeah, one vehicle is gonna be, well, not a drop in the bucket, but significantly less.
1: But it's easily justifiable. Yeah. It's basic necessity of transportation. But they are prototypes. I mean, these may be actually hand-built. Because,
2: you know, maybe the engines built on a CNC machine, but for the most part, these are going to be hand built.
3: Uh, CNC machine, please clarify.
2: Well, it's, it's one of those computerized lathe. Yeah. Oh, okay. They, all right. Yeah. These are mass machines that can really reproduce the parts identical every time. So the engine's not the problem, it's the vehicle. And each vehicle will probably be different and probably not compatible with the previous vehicle. Because, of course, engineers love to tinker.
1: Yeah. Well, all that matters is the engine.
2: Yes, that's true.
1: <laughs> I mean, you could put one of those engines in anything that has a, has a compartment big enough to hold it.
2: They'll probably all use the same chassis. The vehicles will be redesigned based on feedback from the previous version. So, yes, Team One gets, gets one, it goes out and they come back, and Gordon Conrad has a list a mile long why he hates the thing. And the next one addresses all those issues.
1: Oh, sure it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what fantasy world are you living in? <laughs> this one has a cup holder.
3: Well, the, the whole thing is, is yeah, they're going to have that first one. It's going to go through the paces. They're going to say, okay, A, B, C, D, and E could be improved upon. And, yeah, so as it goes on, it's going to change not just because engineers are fickle and they want to mess with stuff, but because of the fact they're going to need to improve it on the fly as time goes on to better facilitate these people going out on the fringe paths. Oh,
2: yeah. yeah, as soon as we hit, hit fringe pirates, you know that may be number D. Number D looks like a hum, like a Hummer in, in Afghanistan. It's got armor on. It's got a pintle mount on top for the machine gun. It's, it's a completely different vehicle.
1: When you're facing a 20-millimeter cannon, I don't care how much armor you put on your vehicle.
0: That's true. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of, the 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent stalking the Night Fantastic. Bureau 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. Is available from Tritech Games at tritechgames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Zero 13 will be there. But the evil is growing.
2: There's also the Muscovy, the infamous Muscovy from way back when, when we have to have it in the game. And I... The vehicle that doesn't
1: exist, but it's in the game.
2: Yes, it doesn't exist. The alternate version I've created was the only diesel model produced, and it was produced in Russia. Summertime worked great. Wintertime, oh, my God, that thing would not want to start. You had to leave it in a garage, heat it overnight, or engineers keep so it would actually start. Well, of
1: course it wouldn't. Yeah. yeah they had the same problem with the original diesel engines. They had to heat them with fires to, to actually get the engines to start. Sure. That's the problem with diesel they're hard to start
3: <laughs> well yeah and there's all sorts of chemicals that can be made i think the diesel fuel gels up in cold
2: yeah, yeah.
3: um i work in the automotive aftermarket uh, 19 years this may i pull diesel anti-gel stuff daily and especially since i'm in the detroit area i'm selling this stuff by the case they have stuff that you can pour into a diesel engine fuel tank to keep the cold from gelling up the fuel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe talking... back... When when was the Muscovy supposed to have been out originally?
2: 40s, 50s. 40s, 50s, 60s. It depends on really when you want to put it. I'm putting it in the 60s.
3: Okay, I'm sure in the 60s they probably did not have diesel anti-gel. This is probably something that came out Maybe in the 80s. So, yeah, they wouldn't have access to these chemicals. Now you have a diesel. Yeah, you pour it in. As I said, I pull this stuff on a daily basis. You know, it comes in gallons. So it's like they wouldn't have that problem now.
2: So, of course, in the backstory, the only surviving models are the ones that the Soviets sold to their client nations, Vietnam and Cuba. They're the only nations that actually have working, running models of the Muscovies. And they've been kept up and they run just fine. They have fewer than they, than they started out with because well, they've cannibalized the older ones to, to keep the ones that got running, running. But the Vietnamese have a uh, amphibious model. You can go in the water and they're entirely, completely 100% mechanical except for the starter motor. So you just need something to, to run as a starter motor for it. And you have a armored, go-anywhere and I mean go-anywhere vehicle. There were a lot of vehicles that have come out in there. There was the bug. I don't know. Any self-respecting fringery er- ever riding the bug? We
1: used those <laughs> all the time in our camp. Because they did go everywhere, John.
2: I had, A neighbor had a six-wheel ATV like that, and that thing got stuck
1: in the mud I, I don't know how many times. Yeah, well... They obviously were not made as well as the ones that are made in Fringeworthy, John. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least it's not
3: a Prius.
1: <laughs> no, a Prius would work just great in the Pathways as a trailer. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, just remember that every vehicle that is out there works perfectly fine after you get it off the fringe path. Right. All you need is a vehicle to t- trailer these things down to where you want them, roll them through, yeah. charge up their batteries, and we're back in business. It isn't that big of a deal unless you run into pirates.
2: At <laughs> yeah. this point, I would say uh, you put in fuel cells. You come off, you wait 10 minutes, flip the
1: switch, and you got power. You could try to do that, but, you know, Fringe yeah. has been a game around since the 70s, so... And actually, I would <laughs> say the, the summer's ATV...
2: Looking at the picture and looking at a picture of a MOG, the Summers ATV and a MOG are ad- almost identical. They're the same vehicle. I would say that we could probably... Play- Summers is just a
1: uh, variation of the MOG. It might be. So So, like I said, John, you need to continue your research and see for the uh, Savage Worlds edition. Yeah. You need to, to work on that to, so that we now have a new version of it that we now know where the full thing came from and why it was able to survive to the modern day. Oh, yeah. That's all good. I like
2: that. Yeah, I, mean, I even gave it a name. I called it the MRM 30.
1: What a great name, John. <laughs> you couldn't pick a name that wasn't alphabet soup.
2: It's Russian for, uh, oh, dear. Do you, do you, yeah, Let you me to look it up. No, we're good. Okay. <laughs> it's like BTR. The BTR actually is Russian for the vehicle. I said, okay, I'll just give it a Russian name. Uh, that falls along the BTR and the other uh, three-letter alphabets they have. MRM actually means something in Russian. Uh, Well,
1: good. I think you should definitely put a phonetics pronunciation in the game so we can call it that. I was nice to give you
2: the Romanized version of it and not the actual Cyrillic, okay? (laughs) Have I ever mentioned
0: how much I hate TLAs?
2: Especially an FLA that's a TLA.
3: I hate you so much.
2: (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> oh no!
3: There are times, Amber, that just it's 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 like you know Bluto on Animal House. Forget it he's like just let him go. <laughs> yeah, oh, and, yeah. Bruce, uh, a TLA is a three-letter acronym. I hate them.
2: Yeah, and oh. FLA is a four-letter ac- acronym, which is a TLA. All
1: right.
4: In the near future, mankind will discover something that will change him forever, an ancient portal system to millions of worlds. Built by a civilization of advanced alien beings, now lost to the ravages of an interdimensional war, he will venture forth into the fringes of space and time to find alternate Earths and alien worlds, where he will find a wondrous bounty of knowledge as to who he was and what he might become. You will also find danger at every turn as he encounters hostile societies, alien beings, and the insidious Mellor. Fringeworthy, the tabletop game of interdimensional adventure is now available for a D20 system and coming soon to Savage Worlds. Action and adventure await you as you explore through the interdimensional fringes of space to an infinite number of new worlds. Your characters will face danger and excitement around every corner. Sail with Blackbeard on the seven seas. Journey to a steampunk Victorian age. Fight the Soviets in an 80s America that lost the Cold War. Travel to an alternate future and witness a supernova from the bridge of a starship, and then battle it out with blasters and plasma swords. Use any D20 setting you already own, or invent your own. Check out the Frenchworthy podcast at tritagsystems.podbean.com to find out more. Whether you've never heard of Frenchworthy or have been playing it for the past 25 years, the Fringeworthy Podcast will entertain and inform you of all the cool stuff you can do with the most all-encompassing setting ever written. Every week, we'll take you on a tour of the fringes of space and give you tips on how to game in this fantastic multiverse. We discuss adventure ideas for the game masters and how to keep your team of characters alive for the players. Go to tritaxsystems.podbean.com and take a listen. You can also find us on iTunes under keyword Fringeworthy. A million million worlds await you. Music by Erminster.
1: Okay, any more
2: questions? He does bring up one other vehicle that's available out there, and and actually there's probably dozens or even double dozens out there and perfectly working and perfectly functional, the agricultural tractor. There are a whole lot of guys out there who are a little crazy in the head who are running steam tractors. So, yeah, you can't put no one on the tractor. That's why you get a trailer. And we had a whole
1: thing about when we talked about steam-powered vehicles. Yeah. But when they run to the Victorians, they're going to have a wonderful, rich source of steam powered tractors.
2: And there are steam lorries, there's smaller steam vehicles. Unfortunately, a bunch of people who made automobiles possible never got born in Victorian Earth because of the divergence. There's no Mercedes Benz. Sorry.
1: No, well, they don't have to. I'm saying is that they have steam powered vehicles, yep. and we can just you know, get, buy them from them for a while. Oh, yeah. That's the
2: plan, probably. We'll buy some right. steam vehicles from them, or at least we'll let them build them, us build some custom
1: stuff. Right. So that's what I'm saying is is that the solution to the fringe-worthy vehicle problem, other than an aspect of national, if not uh, planetary, honor, is to find vehicles out on the fringe paths that are suited technologically to that environment. Yeah.
2: And vehicles that don't have to be watered. Uh, one of the problems with the Elizabeth, the steam bus they got from Whitby, UK, it's got a range of fifty miles before you have to empty the coke pan and rewater it.
1: Assuming you're not pulling a big, huge trailer full of water.
2: It doesn't take that much water, but still, to go to Victorian Prime, they had to make
1: it. They had to stop at every platform. Unless you bring a big tank of water with you. Unless you bring a big tank of water, yes. Which isn't that hard to do. The fringe paths are entirely flat, except for the part where you go up the ramp. and There you can throw in a a couple of cables into the warp, which will then pull the vehicle up onto the fringe pathway, so you don't have to even use any power for that. It's yeah. entirely doable, John. Oh, yeah, it's doable, but they still had to open up the boiler
2: and dump all the coke ashes that had been made. Because that has to be done every 50 miles, otherwise the thing's just full of ashes.
1: Oh, the, yeah, okay, It's that's maintenance. Every vehicle has that. Oh, yeah. But the point is you're not stuck anywhere. You're not going to find yourself 50 miles down the pathway and, oh, I've run out of water. My vehicle is stuck. It isn't. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't stick to them. Basically, I just made, made it
2: took them longer to get there than if they had a regular, regular steam vehicle. The Victorian steam vehicle never had to be rewarded once on the trip there. So different levels of technology I mean, It comes right down to it.
1: If you plan ahead, you know, you're be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Steam vehicles that Jay was driving around the L.A. freeways at 50 to 60 miles an hour. They may have only had enough water in them for maybe a 30-minute drive, but they had no trouble keeping up the speed and such. Oh. And he used oil to heat the steam. Yep. So all you would have needed was some tank that you were pulling behind you, some you know U-Haul that was full of water with a pump that you could either handle yourself or it was linked into the wheels mm-hmm. and you'd have a constant supply of refilling your your tank full of water mm-hmm. and you could go for as long as you had fuel well, no, the safe lifespan before maintenance of that vehicle was and I don't know what that was
4: there, after five long years, my latest invention is complete surely it will revolutionize personal transportation for decades to come hey, let you in here get, get away from there you stupid simian sociopath! Don't touch that! Ah, monkeys, <laughs> took monkeys, monkeys took my jetpack!
2: Monkeys took my jetpack at MTMJetpack.com. Howard Hughes once designed a steam car that didn't need to be rewarded because he had radiators. Sadly, To do it, his engineers put radiators in the door panels. And Howard Hughes demonstrated what would happen in an accident if it got hit in the side with a hammer, (laughs) which was not pleasant.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It needs a different design. And unfortunately for the steam-powered world. Mm -hmm. Reciprocating gasoline engines eclipsed the steam engine just when the technology came into existence that could have really made a big difference. They had steam-powered airplanes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, obviously these things could run for some time. And there was a number of guys who were working on recycling the uh, the water so you actually never would run out of water. The whole issue came down, as, as John was saying, was radiating the heat out quickly enough. And they were working on those designs, but they ran out of money because someone said, well, why do we want to spend another $10,000 in tw- 1920 dollars mm-hmm. Okay, working on this design when we have this reciprocating gasoline engine that will provide just as much mm-hmm. power, and it's already here. Yep. Ford's making it. Yeah.
4: Okay, Carol, now you take these notes, and then we're about ready to begin.
2: Okay, sure. Well, what are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow.
4: We're making a new promo for All Games Considered, since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey, she's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the Gold any for Best Gaming Podcast for 2009.
2: You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey,
4: now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format.
2: You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime.
4: Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and new shows. Don't forget the RPG
2: buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics.
4: Like board and card games. And
2: RPGs. And the people who play them from the old school to the newest of the new. But But no no changeling.
3: changeling. Hey!
2: Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play. Ford's original plan was to
1: actually make his Model T electric. They had lots of electric vehicles back in the 20s, too. They were lead-acid batteries. Yeah, weighed a ton. But they still worked.
2: But, yeah, can you imagine if he had decided to go with the electric Model Ts? Well,
1: he did. Oh, you're right, he did. I mean, th- they, they were an option. That's true. You're right, they were. But no, but no one bought them. They were primarily used as trucks around town for deliveries and things like that but if you had to go any long distance then of course the gasoline engine was your choice and if you were a homeowner who could only afford one vehicle and only one nobody had multiple vehicles unless they were filthy rich back then yeah so your only choice economically was going to be a gas engine and that's it's the same reason that killed the the steam power thing It's the same thing that killed the, the electrical is the fact that economically, they couldn't be supported by having multiple vehicles. Today, in our world, you know, most families have two, if not four, vehicles when you include the motorhome and how many dirt bikes you might have and everything else. so Kids,
3: cars, yeah. You
1: know, having a, a couple of electrical vehicles for just bopping around town for 50 to 100 miles on a charge makes perfect sense.
2: You know, I wonder, you know, if... Ford had made the connection because I think that was the time when they were doing the first experiments with diesel electric mo- el- locomotive engines. Wonder what would happen if he had made the connection and said, I wonder if I just make an engine big enough to keep the batteries charged and let the batteries do the rest of the work. The engine only runs at one speed, it runs at the best speed for the best mileage mm-hmm. all the time. It, it keeps the batteries charged. And the barriers actually run the car. It, right. That's an interesting world to run into. Of course, those vehicles would not work in the fringe paths.
1: No, but the point is that, yeah, you would have had hybrid cars back in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could happen. It sure. Could. And there are plenty of fringe worlds out there where it did. Yes, it, yes, there are. And so, that's again, that's why I keep saying that the best place to find fringe-enabled vehicles is on the worlds that are connected to the fringe paths, besides Earth Prime. Oh, yeah. I think there's a 1950s out there,
2: within like one or two nodes, 1950s Earth someplace. Uh Plenty of old diesel, you know, GMC diesels out there, ready and ready to be bought up. And you're you're preaching the choir, John. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I get you have a nice GM bus.
1: Yeah, it's it's also a really good place (laughs) to get yourselves those really cherry. You know, hot rods that everybody wants to have because they're you know, but no one has them except really rich guys because they cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you could just bring those back and just with the friend, uh, I did doesn't let people make money off of that kind of thing. But boy, wouldn't it be great just to go and start gifting them as a public action kind of thing to schools and. And Metal shops and various things as an educational thing and all of a sudden you're getting all those vehicles showing up on the roadways again I think this is
3: one of those things where I'm realizing. Oh my god. I'm at a podcast with a bunch of males <laughs>
1: <all talking> cars. <laughs> Well, come on. I mean what you know, whatever you want that's vintage It's somewhere. It's not vintage. It's modern it's modern fashion. It's whatever you want, you know. It's
2: fucking cars. It's a whole other language to me.
1: Right, but it doesn't have to be cars. It could be pressings of old records. It could be jewelry. Wouldn't it be great to be able to go into some world where the most illustrious designers in history were alive and you could just go and get something commissioned for something that would cost wouldn't cost you that much money, but would be worth, you know, millions and millions on earth because it happened 50 years ago, and it's ultra-rare. There's only a few of them left. Oh. That's one of the benefits of being a fridge-worthy you explorer.
2: You know what? I go out, I would go back in the 20s, and buy up all the uranium-based glassware that's out there, because I can walk them right through the portal, and they're now safe. Yeah. Those things these days, if you see some, they're behind leaded glass. Yeah. But be able to go out and buy
1: stuff that you can then make safe. So you're putting your glass behind glass. Is that what you're telling me, John? No, no. I mean, walking through the portal, they're ma- they, they have uranium in them. You're- no, but now you're saying that they've got
2: glass behind glass. Yes, they yeah. do. Redundant. See- yes. redundant. Yeah. But do they have see- that
0: behind
2: glass? They have it uh, for you guys in Michigan. You can just go look at that uranium glass in the, in the Meadowbrook uh, Science Museum. They actually have some.
1: It's always interesting to find out that the things that you have in your family, your family heirlooms are actually killing your entire family tree. <laughs> this is why little Billy's so odd, you know, we well, Uncle Charlie gave him that old thing he had from the attic, and he's been keeping it in his room for ten years. We always knew that
3: boy wasn't right.
1: He's got all those radium dials and radium thingamajiggers in his room. It's glowing like a furnace. <laughs> we thought he was going bald because of his mother's side. Pretty
4: <laughs> lips
3: there. Oh, jeez, Pip. <laughs> yeah, I would think. Hey, any more questions there, John?
2: No, I think we beat that horse to death. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm looking, at, I'm just uh, Google searching uranium glass, and I see oh, someone's selling a uh, uranium glass lemon squeezer. Mmm!
1: Oh.
2: yeah.
3: Do not want, yeah.
0: Anybody thirsty?
3: Not now. <laughs> <laughs> you get more than just vitamins and minerals with that glass, OJ. Yeah.
2: The thing is, it, it's, it's this beautiful green color. It's this neon well, green color. So will was- your orange
3: juice when you drink it. No thank you.
2: <laughs>
1: We have one last thing that we need to say, and that's only because it was requested. Ah. But we had somebody who uh, was added to our friends of the uh, Fridgeworthy Tritac podcast, and he wanted us to give a plug for his uh, game. Oh, Trevor. This is Trevor Hudgens, and this is the Dynamo role-playing game. It says the Dynamo role-playing game is a science fiction game that allows you, as a player, to play as one of nine character races... Which includes human, furry, and aliens, and one of 13 classes. The game master is able to develop any type of adventure that they desire. This is available as a soft cover for $15, and it's available on DriveThruRPG and all those other places. So check it out. And thank you, Trevor, for supporting the TriTag Game Podcast. Thanks,
2: Trevor. Yes, thank you, Trevor. Remember, remember, we're Gaming Friday. <laughs>
3: Did I hear you right? Was furry a playable race?
1: Yeah. I don't know if that's a race or it's a type of races or a type of human. It just says human, furry, and alien. So.
3: That's rather vague.
1: It is.
3: I I, totally. Yeah. It's
1: wonderfully vague.
3: vague. But it's like, technically speaking. A werewolf could be considered a furry. Yes,
1: uh, and a human could be considered a furry too, except for the fact that they did <laughs> designation. I don't know what a furry is. There are some humans that do consider
3: themselves furries. And what's your point? Yeah, yeah,
1: I've known people that were furry. You your best They had to wear their wear their shirts all the time. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be uplifted
2: uh, animals. You know, uplifted cats, girl cats.
1: That's actually, uh, <laughs> you may have it there, John, since it is a science fiction adventure game, it's quite possible that furry are, in fact, uplifted animals. Yeah. Meaning for those who are not familiar with the term that they have been, through genetic manipulation, given human or near-human intelligence. Yeah. Possibly above human intelligence, if you you know believe the people who work with dolphins and other types of animals. Yeah.
3: I would think that a furry would be someone who is anthropomorphic.
1: Well, that too. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I don't know. Check it out. Somebody go buy this game. And, you know, what it's like and how Fringeworthy fits into the game because we know that Fringeworthy can be in any game out there. Your role play oh, game yeah. should have Fringeworthy in it. And so I'm going to ask Trevor that question on Facebook. I'm saying, say, well, oh, Trevor, yeah. since you told us about your game, you know, where are the portals? <laughs> Remember? How does fringeworthy intersect with your game?
3: And watch him die. I, 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 I let me get back to you on that. Yeah,
1: and I'm sure he will. Because oh yeah. One thing the game designers love to do is to go in and tinker with their games. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, you
2: know it's not a proper late campaign fringeworthy team
1: unless it has a Demixie, a
2: slarg, uh, some furry of some sort.
1: Hey, don't forget the
2: pangolisks pangolisks you know, there's a the token human.
1: You
3: know um, <laughs> Yeah, one human. Yeah, he sent her
2: And
1: he's over there going dude Oh <laughs> and what? He's not what? Team really? leader. Really
3: the, the human has to be a hippie?
1: No, he's token.
4: Oh my, oh. my head it hurts already. <laughs> Why is it a him? Why can't it be a girl, huh? Why oh, you hate <laughs>
1: Oh I'm sorry. Uh, you run with that one, Amber, please. <laughs> <laughs>
4: You have no idea.
1: <laughs> Actually, I don't have any st- very many stereotypes of, of uh, women drug users, so the beach stoner guy is in so many things. Oh, yeah. Hey, Keenan Reeves made a career out of it, so, you know. Yeah, I was just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, making my point there. Anyways, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Answering Questions, and hopefully when we have this edited down, it will be a lot more interesting and quick <laughs> And I especially want to thank Amber for again joining us and agreeing to be a new host for us. And we will be looking forward to ever more interaction from her as she gets more comfortable with this group and gets her feet wet a lot more. So thank you, Amber, for joining us, and we're looking forward for awesome stuff from you in the future. (laughs) Thank
4: you for having me.
3: Yep, Pip, I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining up with us.
2: Yeah, thank you. thank you, Amber, for joining us. Yes, we really appreciate your company.
3: And I, I will be more vigilant in letting you know, okay, tomorrow night's the night. Be ready, and I'll try to get her up to speed. We should add her to the private group, too. Also, folks, as far as your questions, the forums at tritechgamers.com, the Fringeworthy Facebook group, the Bureau 13 Facebook group, please send us your questions the Yahoo groups also, please.
2: Yes, and the fans of the TriTech podcast. If you just-
3: yes, that one also. Thank you, John. Please yep. send us your questions so we can do more episodes like this and answer these questions for you.
2: That's right, and of course we want to thank Paul Nunes for asking all these questions. Yeah, you know, right. he's just Thanks. like Eric. <laughs> no, no, trust me, oh,
3: Eric so... is his own animal, and Amber's met him, so yeah, yeah. he is his own animal. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, next topic. Next
1: yes. topic. <laughs> yes. Fringeworthy and all the games produced by TriTech Games are, are not old games that were invented back in the 70s and 80s. They're living games that are changing to meet your needs. You just have to let us know what they are. Uh, and so we thank you for joining us this week and every week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer, saying keep your powder dry and keep
2: those cards and letters coming in.
3: This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming it's for having fun.
0: Yo, brothers, this was the Tri Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill, it's protected under the Creative Commons license. B.O. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at tri Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers.